There's a little phrase that comes in my mind about every moment uh, I'm about to preach. That's a phrase I like to say internally when I open up the scripture. Here it is. Help is here. Help is here. Some help for us. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were made through Him. And without Him was not made anything that was made. In Him is life. And that life is the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. Let's pray together and then look for help from the Lord together. Father, in humility, we confess we we cannot help ourselves. We cannot restore ourselves. We cannot save ourselves. We need you. And I am so grateful that we can say with confidence that you have shown up on the scene to help us. So what we need, help us to see how you've provided for us. And I pray that you'd use your word to give us good things and what we need today. In Jesus' name, amen. Of course, you may be seated. If you've got a Bible, I would love for you to join me in the Gospel of John and chapter 2. At the end of 2021... I just found myself in a state where my soul was pretty frazzled. Anybody know what I'm saying? And I, and I wasn't even quite sure why. But let's take inventory often at the end of a year and just say, kind of, where am I? You know, the, the first question that God asks Adam and Eve in the garden after the fall is, where are you? And God doesn't ask that to Adam or Eve because he doesn't know where they are. He asks that because they don't know where they are. Could you just hear that question from the Lord today? Where are, where are you? And then a little bit later on in the, in the Bible when Elijah's in the cave and he's so discouraged. This is a godly man. But he has been through the ringer. He has every pressure point there is in life has been pressed down on him. And he's in the cave and he's getting a little pity party going on. And God shows up in the still, small voice. And you remember the question? Elijah, what are you doing where you are? We run from those questions, by the way, don't we? Pretty easy in 2022 to live a life of distraction. I mean, anybody, you're watching TV and you got your phone out at the same time, you're distracting yourself from your distractions. And then you go to bed at night and you're in your phone, you can't hardly, your phone's just screaming out your name. Distracted all the time. Do you know why? That's a strategy of the enemy, if I'm just being blunt and honest. I know that's true in my life. The enemy will make you busy. Hurry all the time. Do you feel it? Or how about, ask it this way, do you never not feel it? Hurry, hurry, hurry. Love is patient. That, that word in the Greek is, is really, it is patient. Unhurried. Love is unhurried. The Lord is my shepherd. Did you know you have an unhurried shepherd? Shepherd is going to get you where he wants you to go. You don't have to be frazzled. Busy. 
hurried. What the enemy would preclude you from doing is taking inventory of these two questions. Where are you? And what are you doing where you are? Are you, are you living? I'm not talking about are you existing. Got a heart that's beating. Are you skimming through life? Or are you enjoying what Jesus said? I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. Well, at the end of 2021... I was standing on the ocean, not on the ocean, I was standing at the ocean, that's not right. I wasn't standing on the ocean, standing at the ocean. And I said, God, I need some help. I just need some help. My soul is frazzled, I feel dry, I feel, Lord, I just need some help. And and in no audible voice, I just was reading some scripture and I just realized, Brandon, your, your soul is always in a hurry. I said, well, I I pastor a church I love. At that time, four children, a fifth on the way. And and I live in this culture where we're told, I mean, it's a badge of honor. Somebody asks you how you are, and you say, busy. You think you're doing life right. But are we, if that is the defining characteristic of our life? When we open up the Bible and we watch Jesus, he's never in a hurry. He's not rushing through life. He sees people, cares about people, loves people, serves people. He's not just rushing through. Love is unhurried. You know what the goodness of God is? He can lead you today to a green pasture, still waters. And so as I stood there and I said, Lord, I just need some help. Does this happen in your life? You don't need to learn something new. Sometimes in life you have to return to somewhere you've, you've been. Because this morning, I'm going to open up the Word, and I'm just going to tell you, I probably, I'm probably not going to tell you much of anything that you've never heard before. I just know we've got a Word here, our, our plan that we were going to do, we're not doing. Maybe God has something that, as in, has a little bit of an interruption just to say, I, I have something that you need to hear today from the Scripture. So, so again, no audible voice, no sign out of the sky, but a prayerful thought came to my heart. I just need to return to the calm, quiet, unhurried consideration of Scripture. And a little advice I'd heard years ago when I was in seminary popped in my mind. I had a professor who said, saturate your soul with the gospel of John. Not that all the Bible's not helpful. I mean, you just saturate your life with Scripture, amen? Amen. So I've spent, a, I, would have, I wish I had spent more time, but I've spent a lot of time in the first two chapters of John this, this year. So I want to share with you from John chapter 2 this morning. It's the first miracle of Jesus. It's when he turns the water into wine. You, you, you likely know the story. But this is an account where we're taught that Jesus can transform disappointment into celebration. There's something about Christmas that both heightens our joys and deepens our disappointments and sorrows. You know what I mean? Like both are happening at the, at the same time. We, we hold both of them at the same time. And that's true in all the passages around the arrival of Jesus. There's this 
deep disappointment of Zachariah and Elizabeth for all the years they've longed for a child. And then there's the joy of John's announced birth. There's the, there's the joy of Mary's obedience with at the same time the disappointment of being misunderstood initially by Joseph and then with her family members. There's the encouraging arrival of the shepherds upon the birth of Jesus to Mary and Joseph when they've seen the angels and they've come to share all that they've seen. And then a clear word just hours later from Simeon who says, Mary, a sword is going to pierce your soul. To some degree, you likely know what it's like to have a mix of joy and heartache at at Christmas. And I know John 2 is not typically a Christmas passage, but it is a Jesus passage. So therefore, it is a Christmas passage. And it's this account of Jesus' first miracle. Jesus can perform miracles. Amen? But you listen to this. The greatest miracle Jesus performs is the transformation of a soul. It's nothing, nothing, nothing more miraculous that Jesus does than when he transforms a soul. In, in John's gospel, there are seven signs, is the word that John uses, seven, uh, seven miracles that he records. In fact, he says, if we, if we recorded all of them, we couldn't, we'd fill up the whole world with the accounts. But he carefully selects seven miracles. This is the first one, and they all have the same point about pointing to the salvation that can be found in, in Jesus. So, so let's read the account together. On the third day, John 2 verse 1, on the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus was also invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone jars uh, there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted The water now become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. The master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This is the first of the signs Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory. And his disciples believed in him. Now, I think it was G. Campbell Morgan, uh, a preacher from many decades ago, who said that every parable Jesus teaches is a miracle of information, and every miracle is a parable of teaching. In other words, this miracle is a miracle, but it has something to teach us. So, just a couple of things. First of all, see, let's look at where the miracle took place. We're told right there in verse 1, it takes place as a wedding you love a wedding? Weddings are just the best. I've already got a couple of weddings that I'm planning to be a part of in 2023. And I love this verse, verse 2. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. Can I just give you some good advice? Invite Jesus. Invite him. Invite him into your life. Invite him into your life. 
Don't keep him at arm's length. Don't just go to him every once in a while when a crisis comes up. Uh, I was reading this and thinking about how somebody performed a wedding ceremony and Jesus was there. That's, that's crazy to me that he's standing there, you know. And, and in those days, the wedding lasted all day. So that means Jesus went and he was unhurried. In verse 12, it says he went down, after this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and his brothers and his disciples, and they stayed there for a few days. What did he do? I don't know, but you know what it does tell us? He's not in a rush. Love is never in a hurry. Jesus went to uh, feasts and funerals. Have you noticed that Jesus never broke up a feast, but he always broke up a funeral, right? It's a happy occasion. This teaches us something wonderful about Jesus. He was invited and he was happy to go. He was happy to be there. I know they didn't have watches in those days, but Jesus would not have been at the wedding going like this. How much longer is this going to go on? Have you ever noticed people are in a rush to go somewhere else, but when they get to wherever else they're going, they're in a rush not to be there either? What is wrong with us? Well, there's a lot, actually. (laughs) I love the fact that, that the joy of the wedding does not diminish when Jesus arrives, as, we, as we'll see, he actually increases the life and celebration taking place. So don't let anyone ever give you the idea that if you invite God into your life, your life will get more boring. It will not. That your life will get more restricted. It will not. Your life, when you invite Jesus in, gets better, not worse. If you know him for who he really is. The joy does not diminish when Jesus arrives. It increases. What it also teaches is that Jesus loves to be involved in the everyday affairs of people. I mean, you just think about the most monotonous, mundane thing that you do day in and day out. You know what that is? That's actually your real life. It's your real life. And can can we be honest for a moment? Real life is hard. Real life is messy. Real life is troublesome and full of sorrow. And Jesus loves to be involved in the affairs of his people. We have a shepherd who loves to be with his sheep. Isn't that good news? He's taking care. I mean, (laughs) he's taking care of refreshments at a party, and that's his first miracle. After the resurrection, you remember this? When he uh, uh, comes to his disciples, they're out in the sea fishing and you know what Jesus is doing he's on the shore does anybody remember what he's doing and he's making breakfast he's he's cooking when Jesus is invited to the home of the Pharisee for dinner he goes when he's invited to this wedding he goes I don't know about you maybe when you receive an invitation is your mind already saying what can I do to get out of this so I can just stay at the house and watch tv and friends that's the way to waste your life if we're just being honest for a moment Be with people. There's two things that are going to last. The word of God and the souls of other people. Invest your life in those things. There's probably not anybody in the room, if we're just being humbly honest for a moment, you've probably watched enough television to last you the rest of your life. You you just got one. You just got one life. And, And Jesus goes when he's invited. He's willing to be with you. He's willing to be near when you pick up the children from school. 
50 times a week, 50 times a week, Julie and I have a conversation of who's going to take the kids to? And then the next question is, who's going to pick them up from? Right? He's with you when you cook dinner. He's with you when you put the children to bed. He's with you when you pack up your son or your daughter for college. He's with you in the hospital room. He's with you when the person you dearly love dies. You remember the Christmas story, the account is, when Jesus was born, there was no room for him. But he doesn't treat you that way. Please listen to me. He's always got room for you. That's the story of the Bible. That at first, human, as human beings, we wanted to replace God as God. And then we say we've got no place for God. And God has responded by saying, well, I've got a place for you. Right now in your life, Jesus has as much room as you've welcomed him into. Invite him. Invite him. Well, that's where the miracle took place. Let's look second on who was a part of the miracle. Do you want some really, do you want some, I'm serious, like some really good advice? I don't think there has ever been given advice in the history of planet Earth better than this. Do whatever he tells you. We could close right now. We're not going to. I know some of you might say, well, that would be great. No. Do whatever he tells you. It's the best advice ever given. You want to transform life? You want to transform life? Ask God for grace to do whatever Jesus tells you. Not that you know what he said, but that you would do what he says. Now look, she doesn't say, uh, just listen and ignore what he tells you. Do whatever he tells you. Some of us in the room are stuck. We're 100% stuck. There's no growth going on in your life. You're just existing. You're not living because you're stuck right here that Jesus has told you to do something and you've thought of a thousand reasons not to. He's told you to forgive someone and you've said no. He said for you to go to the nations and you said no. And you say, shepherd, keep leading me. That's confounding, isn't it? He would say, I'm trying. His, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Why those two things? One, because you need to be protected. But two, because sometimes you need to be prodded. Unless the shepherd has both. That shepherd's crook. Sometimes needs to yank you out of some places. Amen. It's true. Do whatever he tells you. You want to hear some things that he's told us? When you pray, go into your room and close the door. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Flee from sexual immorality. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander and malice be put away from you along with all evil. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another just as God in Christ forgave you. Come to me all who are weary and heavy laden 
and I will give you rest. For my yoke is, for my, my heart is gentle and lowly. Do you listen? Do what he says. Do whatever he tells you. And I'll tell you for the next year, uh, what, you remember, you know, Simon Peter is so helpful to me because I, I say, man, I'm so much like him. Remember there was a time where Simon Peter had toiled all night, fished all night long. And, and uh, Jesus says, why don't you drop your nets on the other side? And you remember what Simon Peter said? I, I, I have a hard time knowing if he said it eagerly or reluctantly. He said, uh, we've toiled all night. Nevertheless, at your word, I'll do it. And he drops the net and the boat starts to sink, right? Make this, make this the clear motto of your life. Nevertheless, nevertheless, at your word, I'll do it. Nevertheless, at your word, I'll do it. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That happens as you obey him. Ask God to help you be someone who obeys him instantly, gladly, freely, and fully. So look at what happens when they, when they do listen to Jesus. This shows us what happens when people obey. First, it's for their good. Verse 6, now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. All right, to understand this, I think it's Mark 7. Let's turn there. Mark chapter 7. You're in John the book right before John is Luke, and the book right before Luke is Mark. So Mark chapter 7. I want us to understand what's going on here. So helpful for your life. It says in Mark 7 verse 1, Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands, holding to the tradition of the elders. Do you see that? Tradition of the elders. And they had this tradition that you would go to these stone pots, these clay pots, and you'd wash your hands or your arms up to the elbow nine times. You'd wash them once, and you'd let them kind of air dry. You know, no, no hand dryers back, back in those days, which are far too strong, by the way, these days. About to blow your skin off. But they, so they do it nine times, and then according to them, according to them, then you're not defiled, and you go in and eat. Uh, and when they had come, verse 4, from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes ask him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? He said to them, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, the people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Listen, if you hear the question, where are you? And the answer is, I honor you with my lips, but my heart is far from you. The best thing you'll ever do in life is admit that to God. It's not like he doesn't know, right? My heart's far from you. So, so here's what's going on. We got these, these, these uh, uh, six stone water jars. The Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. So if we're all tracking together... The elders have come along and say, for you not to be defiled, you've got to wash in here nine times up to the elbow. And then you can go. Now, so, so just get out of your mind that the disciples went, went around with dirty hands and never washed their hands before they ate. That's not what's going on. They just didn't wash according to the way that the elders said that they should. Does that make sense? So it matters a lot that Jesus, in this miracle, there's a sign. There is such a thing, friends. There is such a thing as old, man-centered, self-centered, dead religion. 
There is. And you say all your life trying to not be defiled, not be defiled. And what is this scripture teaching us? Fill it up to the brim. And Jesus, Jesus is the one who's not defiled, who can then cleanse you. It's not for your works and you keep washing. Some of this is a picture of your life. You're washing, you're scrubbing, you're washing, you're scrubbing. He's the Lamb of God. He fulfills the law. You can't, you didn't, and you won't. But He did. He's undefiled. He's perfect. He's pure. He's clean. He's righteous. And He goes to the cross and He takes your defilement on Himself so that He could make you clean. That's what this miracle is. So first of all, it's for their good. Jesus brings transformation from old dead religion into something so much better. Hey, there's a little insight here, by the way. The servants know something the master of the ceremony doesn't. We're told that. The master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. If you want to be on the inside, be a servant. and Be a servant. You want to know things about God that nobody else knows? Be a servant. What are the servants doing? They're doing what he told him to do. Doing what he said. Is your life consistently a life of serving Jesus? You walk into your home. Have you shown up with this mentality? I'm here to serve Jesus. That's for your good. It's for your good. You live in a world, don't you, that tells you the very opposite. The world that you live in tells you that if you're really somebody and you're influential and powerful, people will serve you. Such an empty life. So first of all, the servant's obedience was for their own good. Second, we see the servant's obedience was for the blessing and gladness of others. Their obedience was not just for themselves. It was unto the gladness and joy of those they were serving. That's what he says. Everyone serves the good wine first. When they've drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you've kept the good wine until now. So, so their obedience was not just about their good, but it was also for the gladness of others. When you really serve Jesus, others will benefit. That, that's, that's, if you read the epistles, that's... That's what the, the, uh, the testimony of the early church was. The unbelieving world around them said, those people are crazy. But man, have they made our city better. Do you think that's the testimony of Christians in America in 2022? I might not agree with what they say, but man, they've made my life so much better. They, they've, made, uh, they've made our city so much better. Have you noticed when the Lord does a miracle, he generally does it through somebody else? When Lazarus is raised, he looked at two servants there and says, roll away the stone when he feeds the 5,000. This is the disciples that pass out the food. 12 baskets left over. So, so when we serve him, man, there's no greater aim you can have in life than to be a servant of, of Jesus. It's for the servant's good. It's for the gladness of others. And then third, it's for the glory of Jesus. It's what we're told this is the first signs Jesus did at Cana in Galilee, verse 11, and manifested his glory. Manifested his, his glory. How? How does this glorify Jesus? Because it demonstrates something about Jesus that is true and good and you need to know. With Jesus, it just gets better and better and better. 
With Jesus, it gets better and better and better. So, real quick, grab a hold of this because it's true. You ready? If you live for something other than Jesus, it's going to run out. It's going to run out. That's where they are. And the, the, the wine ran out. In that culture, in this time and place, that's kind of embarrassing. It's not what you want to happen. It's, it's disappointing. And you see, this is an account of Jesus transforming disappointment into to celebration. You know this song? Every day with Jesus is better than the day before. So if that's not your experience, do whatever he tells you. And it will be. It will be. Have you noticed that the devil doesn't have any joyful old people? Do you know why? Runs out. He always gives the best first. Adrian Rogers said, you can eat the devil's sweet corn if you want to, but he'll choke you on the cob. It's true. Man, it's so exciting, so thrilling on the front end. Man, so empty on the back end. And some of you this morning, you're here, and, that, and that's, that's been 2022 for you. It just crept into your heart in some way, and life will be better. All these things about Jesus, and yeah, it's, it's not that you become anti-God, you just like, I just... I'm just going to look for some, some life and joy somewhere else. And if it hasn't happened yet, it inevitably will. It, the joy, will run out. Because Jesus is the difference between a life that runs out and a life that's filled up. A life that runs out of gladness and a life that never does. The difference between the two is Jesus. So, so we look at where the miracle took place, who was involved in it, and, and now just for a moment, let's look at what the miracle means. It's the first, right? The first of the miracles, we're told. But look at how the account begins. This is not a uh, throwaway line. None of the scripture is. Just listen to it and let the significance rest on you. On the third day, there was a wedding. That's prophetic, friends. That's significant. The third day, there's a wedding. Did you know if you're a follower of Jesus, you're heading to the wedding supper of the Lamb, the greatest of all celebrations? Recently, a couple of save the dates have arrived in the mail at my house, right? Save the date. I'm going to market. These are the dates of the weddings that are coming up. And so kind of... uh, the wedding parties to go on and let us know so we can set the date aside. So whatever you were going to plan, now you know, save the date. John, John 2 reminds us that there's a date that saves. It's not the date that saves, but put it better, there's something that Jesus has done to save us, to rescue us, to restore us, to liberate us, to give us life. The devil always gives you his best first and then it runs out. This is the proverb. The bread of deceit is sweet, but afterwards the mouth is full of gravel. You just want to know what the devil will do in your life? Just go get some gravel from your driveway and put it in your mouth. And that might be a helpful lesson for you. Spit it out. That's the bread of deceit. But Jesus isn't that way. It's not that way. When he saves you, life just gets better and better. You're in John. Turn with me to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. 
verse 31. And when I said 31, what I really meant was 30. John chapter 20, verse 30. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples. Remember, I tell you in the Gospel of John, there's seven. You want to just sit down this afternoon and just read through the Gospel of John. It won't take you long and you'll see all seven. But he's saying there were a whole lot more than seven. He says, which are not written in this book, but these, including turning water into wine, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So yes, believe in miracles, but trust in Jesus. The greatest miracle that he performs is the transformation of a, of a soul. It is Christmas time. It's a wonderful time to remember these truths about Jesus. He did not come to just turn water into wine. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and all things were made through him. He's the creator, so turning some water into wine is really not that hard for him. But he can transform your heart. From looking to clean up your own life and purify yourself, he can transform that life into a life that trusts him. See what John is saying? These are done so that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ and that by the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So here's a conclusion leading into a time of invitation and response. Are you, this morning, looking for life in things that will run out? Or are you trusting in Him for everlasting joy and life? Saying, because of what happened on that third day when Jesus walked out of the tomb, I'm going to go to the wedding supper of the Lamb. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Do you stand with me and we'll pray together? We're going to pray together. We'll sing in Christ alone together. We have what we call a response time. Sometimes we call it an invitation. But, but today we, uh, we'll use that term invitation just in line with John chapter 2. Jesus was also invited. So here's the invitation today. An opportunity for, for you to take inventory. You know, he's a good shepherd. If either with his uh, his his rod or his staff would lead you to say, I, I need to invite Jesus back into my life. Maybe for you, he'd say, I need to invite him into my life for the very first time. Maybe you've drifted and just say, I <laughs> today I'm going to invite him. I'm going to trust him. I'm going to believe in him. I am not going to continue to live my life for things that are, are or have run out.
be my joy if you've got a concern, a question, a I want to pray. I'll stand right here at the front to do that. You're welcome to come to the front. If you want to pray on your own here at the front, you're welcome to do that. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. You will never, ever, ever regret doing what Jesus tells you to do. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, make it clear. In a way only you can through your Word and through your Spirit. Help us in this distracted age not to be distracted from this moment where you really restore some things. So Father, lead us. Help us to do whatever he tells us to do. Is that to repent from what needs to be repented of, pursue what needs to be pursued. God, I pray for every single person that's here. Give us grace to listen and respond. Invite you into our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name.